0: Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back everyone to episode 61. I hope you're all having a fabulous week. As many of you are aware, Lifeline Push-Up Challenge is coming up soon. The challenge aims to raise awareness about the importance of mental fitness and the number of lives lost to suicide every year. We lose 9 people to suicide in Australia every day. 7 of these are men and 2 of these are women. The push-up challenge goes from the 1st of June to the 23rd of June and encourages the community to take part in physical activity. Lifeline New England Northwest is encouraging all of the local community to take part in the push-up challenge. If you would like to take part, go to lifeline New England Northwest Facebook page, and you will find several posts there with a QR code to sign up and take part and have fun with the challenge. I will also add the link to our Facebook community as well. Today, I would like to introduce you to Imogen Khan, who has spent the best part of a decade working in TV production on large scale reality shows like Big Brother and The Voice. Although this was a dream career, the unexpected loss of her mum to suicide in February 2020 caused her to reevaluate what she wanted to do with her life. Now, her primary focus is the podcast Good Morning. Imogen and Sally Douglas, her co host, shine a light on what grief is really like with honesty, hope, and humour. They have also released a book, Good Morning Honest Conversations About Grief and Loss, which we talk about at the end of this interview. I have personally read this book from front to back, and I invite you all to go and check it out. In this episode, Imogen opens up the conversation about the loss of her mum in 2020. You know I like to try and give you a roadmap to the conversation so you can decide if this is the right episode for you today. Imogen and I do not discuss in detail the circumstances surrounding her mother's death. Rather, we talk about Imogen's experience of grief and loss. We talk about what it was like for her to lose her mum unexpectedly and in such unimaginable circumstances. We talk about the self-blame, guilt, exhaustion, lack of hope and the moments that Imogen thought she could not go on. We weave in and out her personal story and what she has learnt in the last few years about grief and loss. What conversations have helped her? What strategies she has picked up along the way? We break down the myths about grief, such as sadness being the only emotion attached to grief. And Imogen explains beautifully how trauma can impact the mind and body and how it can also impact relationships in your life. If this is not the right episode for you today, I encourage you to skip it and we will see you next Monday. If you would like to talk to someone, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Let's get started. Welcome, Imogen, to Challenges That Changes. Thank you so much for coming on today and having a conversation with us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Imogen, I love to start every episode with asking what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? I love
1: this question. I was having a ponder on this before and I think that I would have to go with Wombat. That's the animal. And I was actually called a wombat. I had a nickname called Wilbur by my stepdad when I was a kid because I think I've been a bit of a wombat ever since I was a baby, actually. So, I mean, physically when I was a baby, I definitely looked like a wombat, but I think there's some characteristics around the wombat that could be quite like me. Like they're very reliable, patient, and they are also disciplined, but I wouldn't say... I was disciplined growing up, but I'm certainly a bit more disciplined now. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Wombat.
0: I haven't had anyone come on and say wombat before (laughs) and it always makes me laugh when someone puts a new animal out there and my first (laughs) thought is always like what are the characteristics I think, you know, when someone says a new animal and all I can think about with a wombat is we live in the country, we're in the middle of New South Wales and often there's signs that says, you know, watch out for wombats because you do not want to hit a wombat on the road. It's like hitting a big rock and that was all I could think about. (laughs) Don't mess with me. Don't run me over. (laughs) (laughs) You will not finish off well. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) And that's, yeah. That's
0: very true. <laughs> yeah. And Imogen, we've we've come on today to talk about a really, really tough topic and a topic that is very close to my heart and close to your heart. And that's a topic of suicide. You lost your mum in 2020. And you know, I just I'm so aware as we lead into this conversation, the space that we're opening up. Did you want to start at the beginning of your story? Sure.
1: And so I had just become a new mum. I gave birth to a daughter called Layla. She was like the light in everybody's life. My mum just absolutely loved her. She would come over like every week and we'd go for picnics and just do all the mother-daughter three-generation thing. And then when my daughter was nine months old, My mum was going through some really unimaginable circumstances and I was in the middle of moving house one Saturday morning and I got a call from my sister. My sister called my my partner, Ben, and gave us the news that my mum had died and we couldn't quite work out what had happened because I'm like, what do you mean? Like this is What? And yeah, it turns out that she died by suicide and I learned very quickly that suicide doesn't discriminate. I thought my mum would have been the absolute last person on this earth to ever do what she did. And yeah, it was a big lesson for me. She never had any previous mental health issues. So it was all purely circumstantial, which was really difficult to comprehend. And there was no note, no goodbye. She was just gone, vanished, and um, for a long time I blamed myself, which I think is a very common experience for suicide loss survivors. You need answers. There's no answers. So you think, well, if, if only I'd done this differently, if only I'd called her five minutes earlier, I could have stopped it. You know, We want to try and gain back a little bit of control from this chaotic and unpredictable world that we find ourselves in. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time feeling really guilty as well, which was really
0: tough. It's one of the your worst nightmares isn't it getting a phone call about losing a loved one but when it's got the complexity of suicide wrapped around it and and like you said not having answers or not being able to say goodbye you know it really can complicate the grief
1: yes it's very complicated very multi-layered and complex and yeah when you don't have those answers like you know the the cause of death, how they died. You don't know why they died. Like you need that why and that one person that can give you that answer is them, you know, and especially when they don't leave a note. So even when they do leave a note, there's still so many unanswered questions and I, for months, my grief didn't look like what I would assume grief to look like, like I lost grandparents, but this was just so different. It was on another level. It was all-consuming full body, just mind, body, spirit, everything was impacted. And for a long time, I was just ruminating. Like I, my, my mind was just stuck on a loop trying to like make sense of everything. And I'd go over all conversations and then I'd, it's called a a psychological autopsy. And it just made, when I, when I heard that term, I'm like, yes, is exactly what it is. Like you go on a bit of a psychological autopsy trying to like gather all the evidence and the information to try and like come up with an answer that makes some sense. And, and unfortunately, like it doesn't (laughs) and nothing, no answers you find can give you that peace of mind either with suicide loss. Like it's just, it's a catastrophic way to lose somebody that you love.
0: And when you're saying that, I'm thinking like we haven't even talked about also like the logistics when you lose someone and then everyone around you grieving in different ways. And, you know, just even listening to you about that process of, well, why did this happen? You know, was there signs? Did we miss anything? There's some of the most common questions around suicide. And as you said, your mum didn't have a history. There was nothing to kind of, is that right? There was nothing to track back to see that this was something that was going to be coming up or. Suicide was never, it was never an option in my eyes. Like if someone had told me your
1: mum's going to die by suicide, I'd be like, she's the last person that would do that. Like, what are you talking about? She was an advocate for youth suicide prevention She'd written into the newspapers, you know, she about suicide the suicide rate on the northern beaches. Like she was a person advocating for mental health awareness and suicide awareness. So I was like, Well, why would she go and do the exact thing that she advocates for people not to do she was the last person that I could have ever imagined doing what she did
0: and when you talk about the grief looking different I think that that's a really important conversation to have because it can look every experience we have around grief can look different and I think sometimes we think it's meant to be a straight road and we're meant to know how to do it and yes everyone experiences grief in their lifetime but there's no well I was gonna say there's no book on how to do it but you guys have written a book (laughs) that we're gonna talk about but you know maybe if we just talk about that a little bit bit around how you had perhaps this idea of what grief looked like and then this was a whole nother kettle of fish
1: yeah I think unless you've been through loss there is this kind of preconceived idea that grief is just sadness like it's just an emotion you know that you feel and then after the funeral you kind of start getting back to normal and getting on with things and moving on with your life but it's just not the case at all Is it Ellie? Like it's just, it's just a whole, it changes you. It changes your life. It changes you as a person. There's nothing left of the old me after my mum died. And I, yeah, I guess I assume that grief would just be sadness. But for me, like I kind of touched on earlier, like I felt a lot of guilt. I felt huge amounts of rage and anger. Like I just remember getting into my car after it happened. And I would just drive around the block and scream with the music blaring, and just like crying and screaming. Like I just had to get this emotion out of me. It was so heavy. And that's the other thing. I don't think society really gives us room for those emotions as well. You know, I think we're kind of expected to not be very vocal with how we're feeling and not talk about it. And, you know, there's lots of misconceptions about grief, but yeah, one of the biggest is that it's just sadness, but it's not, it's a On it changes you, it changes your whole world. It's a really physical experience as well. Like for me, it was really visceral. I felt my grief, my body hurt. Sometimes I felt like my skin was on fire. I was breastfeeding my daughter at the time, as I mentioned, she was nine months old, and my breast milk dried up. Like I couldn't, my body just stopped working, you know. And that was another profound loss that I was going through. I was like, I can't even feed my child now. Like everything just felt like it was falling
0: apart. So Grief upon grief, right? Like that's another yeah. type of grief when you, you know, it's like you lo- you've lost so much already and then there's other aspects of your life that you're just watching fall apart around you.
1: Yeah, it's called secondary losses and they come in like there's a lot. You know, you, I lost my mum but my daughter lost her grandma. I was losing, you know, that connection with my daughter of breastfeeding. I lost my biggest support. You know, so I lost that go-to person that I could go to to help me in the middle of the night and answer all of my questions about becoming a new mom. And there's so many other losses that are all mixed up in this, you know, big mesh of a, a big loss, which is the person that you lose. But, yeah, secondary losses can happen, especially for people like if they lose their partner, they lose financial stability sometimes. They lose, you know, that person that's around them all the time in their home and they can become really isolated and alone. Like there's so many other losses, not just the death loss, which is important for people to
0: understand. And that that word isolation is definitely something that comes to mind when I think about grief. It's like it's such a personal journey. It is a lonely and personal journey. Yeah.
1: It's very isolating and lonely and I think even if you are well-supported, my friends and family, like I had great support, but I still felt really alone. You know, I felt like I was the only one on the planet going through what I was going through. And, um, that was hard. That was really hard. And I've always considered myself quite a social person too. Like I had lots of friends and, but I just, I felt like I couldn't relate to a lot of people anymore. I still do. Like sometimes I have moments where I'll be at the playground with my daughter and I'll look around and all the mums are, playing with their kids and talking with each other. And I just feel like I, I'm i just not there anymore. You know, I, I feel like I've lost the ability to have small talk <laughs> as well. You know, it's just, I've been through something so huge that I just feel like I can't relate to people in the same way that I could before. And I think that also contributes to the feelings of
0: isolation. Mm, and so important to be able to say that out loud, right? Like, you know, for you even to come on here and say out loud, like, I feel like Sometimes I don't remember how to do that or it feels foreign or it doesn't feel like it used to feel. Mm -hmm. How did you map your way through those early weeks and months? Because it's unimaginable for someone that I have not lost my mum by suicide and lost a lot of friends over the years. And every time it's been so different, you know, just those first early weeks, months, like you said, how did you map your way through?
1: It's survival. You're in survival mode for a long time, especially after suicide loss. Like I remember I just, there were days where I just didn't think I would survive. There were days where it was just all too unbearable. And I'd look into the future and I'd be like, I cannot do it. I cannot do this. I cannot see any light coming back in my life after this. And it was excruciating. I just Thank God now that I had my daughter, to be honest, because this is something that Dr. Edith Eager has talked about before. She's incredible. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. She's a Holocaust survivor and has written two books, The Choice and The Gift, and she's been through unimaginable trauma and she came out the other side. And something that she said which really resonated with me, it's like you're not living for yourself at first. You have to live for something or someone outside of yourself. And then eventually you do start to live for yourself again. And I really like, I hooked onto that. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to live for my daughter. I don't feel like I'm living for me right now, but if I just focus all my energy on her and surviving for her, then that's going to give me a focus. So I did that. And, you know, a lot of the time I was still ruminating in my head and, probably quite disengaged I look back now and I, I I, yeah I would have been really disengaged from the experience of new motherhood you know I hear all the time people say how joyous it is and those first you know that first year or two years is just amazing and it's that bond and connection but to be honest like I was surviving I was like as long as this kid is fed and bathed and like you know, the basic needs are being met. That's all I can do right now. So I also had to let go a lot of, of a lot of expectations of myself too, and just be the good enough mother because I couldn't be any more than that because I was surviving. So yeah, I focused a lot of my energy to my daughter and just being like, just get, you've got to, you've got to be here for her because I would hate for her to have to go through what I was going through and am still going through. So yeah, that became a big focus for me. And then Doing the work that I've been doing with Good Morning, which we'll get into a little bit later, but the podcast, we started talking to incredible like world leading experts on trauma and grief. And I just started to gain all this knowledge about what grief and trauma is, you know, and all of those things really helped me, especially understanding the mind body connection. And when you go through a traumatic event, like a suicide loss, it actually like impacts your brain. And changes your brain and rewires it. And also, when you experience trauma, that trauma can stay stored in your body and change the cells in your body and live in your body. And if you're not doing things to release the trauma or do things to help your brain after loss, like you can stay stuck in a place of suffering. So I think I was really fortunate to have been able to have these conversations with these amazing people, you know, sharing all of this wisdom. And have created a bit of a toolkit for myself, you know? And so, I I fully understood like, right, to stop ruminating, to feel like I'm not stuck in this suffering in this dark hole anymore. I need to actually do work. Like it's actually work to grieve and to do the trauma work. Like it's hard work. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand that or they may not even know that you know trauma impacts you physically and stays in your body unless you actually do things to physically release it. So, I did a five-week intensive breath work course and that was probably one of the most amazing things I could have ever done for my grief and my trauma. And slowly, I just started to feel like my body was regulating itself again. I was able to sleep a bit better because that's the thing with grief as well. Like it can give you like nightmares and impact your sleep and just everyday function, (laughs) you know, your memory, your concentration, all those things. So yeah, slowly I started to feel like those elements were getting a little bit better from doing this breathwork course. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And I even noticed I started to move through traumas that I was holding on to even before my mama died. So when I was 17, I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And of course I went on the antidepressants and I did all the things that the GP tells you to do, but I never actually got to the root of why I have a mental disorder and doing this work, you know, made me clearly understand, like I had been through quite a lot when I was growing up, I had a really complicated upbringing in childhood and all of these things kind of made me feel a bit unsafe. And then it was my body's way of coping you know and so that that's why I was struggling with anxiety and my body was dysregulated and a lot of people can experience like gastrointestinal issues as well and I you know had IBS I had I was just a poster girl for anxiety and since doing the the work on my trauma I've also like nearly overcome my anxiety disorder which has been absolutely incredible so I feel like it's a long-winded answer to your question but it's been like a it's been a journey it's been a journey and I just I've learned a lot of amazing things along the way about why yeah why we live in these dysregulated states and how important it is to do the work to get our bodies kind of regulate it again.
0: And listening to you, I'm thinking it's so common for so many of us to just live day by day. You know, we just, we just do. It's like with grief, we're just going to – if we give it enough time, it's going to pass. And with trauma, if we just – do the small things, it's going to pass. But what I'm hearing as you're talking, and this is really important, is that you can work on the mind and if you don't work on the body, the body remembers, you know, you have to work on the body. But if you just work mm-hmm. on the body and you forget to work on the mind, like they're connected and it's it's understanding how they're connected and how you can work on both. And the strategies that you can use in one aspect of your life is transferable across many
1: Absolutely. There's an incredible book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and he talks all about trauma and how it stays stored in the body and things that you can do. And yoga is actually one of the really uh, most beneficial things you can do for healing trauma. Yoga has been scientifically proven to be more effective than any kind of medications and things for mental health issues, which is incredible. And not everyone may know that,
0: And on that, the reason, one of the reasons why is because yoga covers so many things. Like usually at the beginning of the class, you start with some breath work and some grounding and some anchoring, which are tools that you can take into your life. And then it progresses into some movement, which we know can increase our um, hormone levels within our bodies and our brains. And then it often ends with a meditation at the end. So really, a yoga class is not just going and doing one thing. It's all encompassing. And it also, the whole way through a yoga class, Often the teacher will be talking about the mindset or the language inside our minds and, you know, talks about gratitude. There's so many components mm. to yoga. You know, my background is a yoga teacher, but that's one of the reasons why I love it and the reason why it can, can be so helpful in this space is because, you know, it's designed to target so many different aspects of us as humans
1: it's incredible and i love that you're a yoga teacher it's so good i need to do more yoga but it's so it's so <laughs> it's amazing for you and every time i do it i feel super grounded and clear-headed like it is such an amazing tool for people to
0: use yeah and we could have a whole session on yoga <laughs> but that is not why we're on here um, <laughs> but no I think like there's so many points there that you talked about one of them was and these were not your words but like we're not prepped for grief it's like it gets thrown on us often and then we're, we're, we're kind of chasing our tail thinking what do we do here you know, it's like as children we don't get taught that grief is going to be a part of our life and what are the strategies and tools that we can have for when this adversity hits later on. Uh, it's we're, we're kind of just landed in it and then we, we're scrambling to try and work out well, what do I do when you're the most fatigued and the most vulnerable you may have ever been in your life
1: we are not prepared for it. Even if people are experiencing anticipatory grief, which is if your loved one has a terminal illness and you know, they're going to die, like we still are not prepared for it. And I think that's largely because as a society, we don't talk about grief. We don't talk about death. Like we're so bad at it. You know, there's so much work needs to be done. And yeah, we just, we have no idea how to support people, how to support ourselves, what the reality of the experience is even like for starters. So I think that's probably why, yeah, why we're
0: just not prepared for it because we don't talk about it. And also it's so individualised. I mean we've said that already but like listening to you and what you've been through, like losing your mum, losing your mum by suicide having a baby on the ground and trying to breastfeed and then not being able like so many levels of that are so individualized to your own circumstances that there can't be kind of a rule book out there to say this is what you do in this scenario
1: it is. It's, it's incredibly individual, although it's a universal experience, like everyone grieves differently. You know, everyone's grief is unique to them and it comes down to so many different factors, like the relationship that you had with the person, you know, your previous history in your life, like how you cope with things in life just come, boils down to so many different factors. And I think that can cause a lot of, frictions in family dynamics as well and that's something that we do talk about in our book is like how grief can impact the relationships in your lives you know I've got a sister and we grieve completely differently which is really interesting and I feel like it's difficult to support each other sometimes because we're on such different grief waves and different levels of grief and and we just yeah we just handle it differently and I think it's really important for people to understand like no one copes with loss in the same way and there are people who Will want to suppress it and not talk about the person who died. And that can be really difficult for somebody like me or like you, Ellie. I can imagine you, you know, you find comfort in talking about people who are no longer here and sharing stories and connecting with them still. And it's called continuing the bond, which is the theory that we love. And yes, I, I think it's really important to keep people a part of our everyday who are no longer here and connect with them. But, yeah, some people do find it difficult if they have a family member who don't want
0: to talk about them and then that can also exacerbate feelings of loneliness and isolation. Mm, It's that I I often say, you know, grief can make or break a relationship and, again, it's because we, we don't talk about it and we're not prepared for it and we don't have strategies in that moment on how to hold a relationship when you're both in such a different space. And that doesn't just have to be family. That can be anyone. It can be a work colleague or, you know, if you've lost, for example, a work colleague or you've lost a friend, you know, your friendship circle will grieve differently.
1: Absolutely. And something that we hear time and time again within our community is how common it is for people to feel like they're friends, people that they expected to be there, like best friends, don't show up for them. And that can be really painful. And I think a lot of the time it it comes down to like the fact that they probably haven't been through loss themselves. And like we were talking about before, unless you've been through it, it's really difficult to know what it's like or be prepared for it. So it's difficult to show up and support people in the way that they need supporting. So, yeah, we hear that time and time again. that And that's really difficult for people because it's a time when you need people the most. And I think when, you know, we get a lot of support around the funeral and in that first few weeks. And it's always often super busy and people are showing up. And if you're lucky, dropping food on the doorstep and sending the condolence cards and the flowers. But after the funeral's over, that support usually drops away and everyone goes back to their daily lives. And I think for for people grieving, like the real grieving starts after the funeral. It doesn't, you know, it's not happening before then. I know for me, I was in so much shock for nearly a whole year that I couldn't even comprehend the fact that my mum was dead, let alone, you know, support myself. So I, I could have done with a lot more support in the months after she died rather than that initial, that initial period around the funeral.
0: Mm. And did you have a voice at that stage to ask for help?
1: I'm terrible at asking for help and I think that's really common. And I think as well you don't know what you need. I didn't know what I needed. I was just on another planet and people would say to me, let me know if you need anything. And I think that's probably one of the worst things to say, you know. And I've definitely, I definitely said it to people before going through loss. But like, I, I now wouldn't say that. I would be really specific and clear if I was offering support. I'd be like, "All right, I'm, I'm coming to walk your dog. Is four pm okay every day for the next two weeks?" Or I'm going to take your daughter to the park. Is ten o'clock on Saturday a good time to pick her up? You know, getting really specific with with your support that you're offering is hugely helpful for people because yeah you just you just don't know what you need when you're in the thick of it. And it's really difficult to also ask for help you don't want to burden anybody
0: and Imogen I'm wondering you know we spoke a little like very briefly on those early weeks and months and one of the reasons why I'm not going back into that is because I don't want to re-traumatize you in that space I guess what I'm wondering about is how you navigated or found a way through to kind of find hope again or to find your world again in your life. You mentioned as a mum that you were living for your daughter and it was almost, it sounded like it was almost logistical. I need to do this and this and this so that you could get through every day. Do you remember when or when you look back, can you see how that started to open up to your world again?
1: Yeah. So about three months after mum died, I knew I needed some extra support. Even though I did have good support, I just, I needed to speak to somebody who could kind of relate to me on a more deeper level that was outside of my circle, because as we just talked about, like everyone's grieving differently in the family and yeah, it was really important for me to have someone who I could relate to that wasn't grieving the loss of my mom as well. And so I searched online for support and I found a group called Motherless Daughters, And they had a Facebook support group and I joined that. And it was really out of character for me. Like I would never have considered myself to be a support group type of person, but I really needed it and I knew I needed help. And I had therapists around the clock, like we were talking about before, there's only so much like mind therapy you can do, but until you, you know, do all the rest of it, it doesn't all, you know, connect. And so, yeah, I had a few different therapists and I just, I knew I really needed some someone to talk to that was kind of outside my circle.
0: When you say you needed help, what was it that alerted you to that? Okay.
1: I knew I needed help because I was experiencing a bit of suicidal ideation, which is really common for people who have experienced suicide loss. I didn't have any plans to take my own life, but I definitely thought about it I definitely thought that it was too difficult to live like this and the pain was too great that I just I just wanted it to end. I didn't want my life to end but I wanted the pain to go away and I couldn't see how it would ever go away. And yeah, so I was experiencing those sorts of thoughts and feelings and as I mentioned I was talking to therapists a lot. I don't think I was very honest with people about that how I felt. And I don't think I really opened up about that because I didn't want people to take it too seriously because I wasn't taking it seriously, if that makes sense. Like it was just a thought that I'd had. I didn't have any plans in place, but I definitely at times felt like this is too much. I don't want to be here anymore.
0: And how to have that conversation when you've just lost your mum, you know, that's, it makes it very hard to open that conversation up. I'd imagine.
1: Very difficult and I didn't want to worry anybody and, again, didn't want to burden anybody, which is really awful to think about now because it's not a burden. And I, I would hate to ever have thought that my mum felt like a burden too and that she couldn't come to us with how she was really feeling. And, but, yeah, it's it's a really common experience for suicide loss survivors to experience suicidal ideation. So that's why I think it's important to talk about and to let people know that it is a normal experience and it's okay to talk about it. You know, it's all, it's all right to talk about these how you're feeling and you're not going to be sent to a mental health unit. You know, I think it's important to, yeah, just have these open and honest conversations about, yeah, the
0: realities of it. And that there can be a difference between thinking about it and actually taking action as well and there's it can be a very fine line in the middle there but you know for you you were saying it was really the thoughts of it and just not being able to see that by the sounds of it, there was no hope at that point in time no
1: hope at that point in time everything felt really dark I was just existing and I had my daughter's first birthday, three months after mom died. And I did all the things, I put up the balloons and I got the cake and I look back at the photos and I just, I don't even recognize myself. Like it's quite sad. Like I was just, just existing and while the, you know, my life was just sort of happening, but I wasn't really in it. And I feel like I missed out on a lot of really special moments that should have been full of joy and celebration, but instead it was just, I was just going through the motions of life, but I wasn't really living it. Which is more grief. Yeah.
0: When you look back, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I'll never, I'll never be able to get that time back. No. I'll never be able to get it back. And I felt really guilty for that as well. I'm like, I hope my daughter isn't isn't going to suffer from her childhood with a grieving
0: traumatized mother we can be so hard on ourselves Mm, it's added pressure you know if that's the conversation and were you having that conversation in your head with yourself about how you were as a mom and what your experience was and
1: Absolutely. And I would compare myself to all the Instagram mums that, you know, had it all together. Well, so they seemed, you know, I, I know Instagram's a highlight reel of everyone's life and it's not reality. But when you're so down in the dumps and you're in such a dark place, it's hard not to compare yourself. You know, we'd have dress up days at daycare and I'd forget because my brain's not functioning and she'd be the only kid not dressed up or it'd be her birthday. And I just couldn't even get the energy to like bring a cake to the daycare for the other kids to celebrate, but all the mums are doing it, you know, and I did did feel really shit and was really hard on myself. But I've gotten much better at just letting go of those expectations and not comparing myself and just switching that part off. I think it's really important.
0: This is a shout-out to all the teachers, parents and principals that may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely actions so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second-guessing, with children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. And maybe it might be helpful to have a conversation about what that looked like to get to that place that you were able to start to let go of some of those expectations. You said you started with a support group.
1: I, yeah, I went I went along to the support group. They had a meetup and it was oh, COVID, peak COVID times so where only 10 people could could go and this is where i met sally who's my co-host of my podcast and the co-author of my book good morning honest conversations about grief and loss and we just hit it off and it's funny because sally and i we didn't even like get a chance to talk on the day. It was a bit of a sliding doors kind of moment. She sat opposite me and then went to the bar to get a drink and then someone took her place. And then she ended up sitting at the other end of the table and then she left early. But like, I just had a, like a connection to her. Like I felt like she was like my type of person and that we, needed to meet and needed to speak
0: you know for anyone that's listening to that it's actually a beautiful story it's on your podcast and i think it's the second and third episode of your experiences and and how you actually met and it's really quite a beautiful story we call it our love story yeah i was thinking that (laughs) traumatic
1: circumstances that led us to it but and I also without sounding too woo woo like strongly believe that our mums brought us together as well like we've had so many signs and synchronicities and things and that's brought me a lot of comfort actually spirituality and exploring spirituality and, and understanding that death isn't the end it's not the end of the relationship with the person who died and I think there's more to life and what we know you know which is a whole nother podcast yes but
0: (laughs) episode two or episode five
1: yeah (laughs) but um yeah I do feel like Sally and I were destined to meet somehow and so meeting Sally was really the start of my healing journey and just so Sal's mum died suddenly. It wasn't by suicide. Her mum died from something called SUDEP, which is sudden and unexpected death in epilepsy. So we were the same, similar ages. Our mums were similar ages. They were in their early sixties and Sal and I were in our early thirties. And we just had so many things in common, not just mothers who had died. And yeah, it was just incredible to speak to someone who I could relate to. And it was so validating. It was almost like I had a mirror in front of me being like, oh my God, are you forgetting everything? It's like, yes. Do you feel exhausted all the time? Like, yes, I'm not the only one, you know? And that's something that we hear from so many people in our community. Like, just,
0: just, you just want to know that in alone, right? And- Like you said, that there can be hope. You know, you may not know where that's going to come from. You may not know when that's going to show up on your door, but hearing other stories and connecting with other people can be that start of that journey.
1: Absolutely. And I remember like trawling, you know, Apple Podcasts, just trying to find a story that was similar to mine to listen to that I could relate to. Like I found so much comfort in other people's stories, hearing real life stories. That's what, it's incredible what you do, Ali, too, with your podcast. Cause I think, you just never know who's going to hear what they need to hear in that moment that's going to help them. And um yeah, I just remember the first time I found a podcast episode where the woman had lost her mom to suicide and it was just incredible for me to hear that. And just those little things give you hope, you know, hearing other people's stories of survival, right. gives you hope. So I really, I really clung on to hearing, yeah, just how other people, got through it and also knowing that you could survive it, you know, and I just started thinking, well, if they can do it, so can I, which was, yeah, it was really important for me to understand that other people have gone through this, you know, I'm not alone because you do, you feel like you're
0: the only person in the world going through it. Mm. And not even the energy to even think about you know, we've talked a lot about strategies, but you do, I'd imagine you just don't even have the energy to be like, what's in my toolbox right now? You know, <laughs> like, it's like, I just can't, I just can't is the word that I often think about um, when you're in that deep, heavy grief. It's like, I don't have the energy. I can't do this right now. I don't know how.
1: And it's an exhaustion that you can't sleep off either. Like, it's just, you know, that just, you just can't. It's so true. It's just like, I just can't. <laughs> And no matter, yeah, no matter how much rest you're getting or no matter how many things you're doing, all the right things that the internet tells you to do, it doesn't, yeah, in the in the immediate months and sometimes year, it doesn't, it doesn't really help. You've just got to survive. And some of the best advice that I was given was to go micro, you know, just strip everything back. Don't try to do all the things that I was trying to do to be the perfect mom or, you know, show up in in ways that I just couldn't and just, just honour where you're at and be like, you know what, I don't have to get everything done today. My daughter can have baked beans for dinner and she'll survive, like little things like that. But, yeah, just strip all of your expectations back that you put on yourself and just do the basics because it's really hard what you're going through and you will come out the other side, you will be okay. But just, yeah, if you're in the immediate aftermath, it's just so important to just take things minute by minute, step by step, day by day, and not look too far into the future. So I know anytime I tried to do that, it was just felt impossible. I think that's when the suicidal ideation came in. It's like, I, I'll never be okay again. I'll never survive this. I'll never have any light back in my life. These were all thoughts that I had all the time just swirling around my head. But, I'm out the other side and I'm here to say you do, you do survive and you will survive and that light that you think won't come back into your life again absolutely does come back which is, it can be really difficult to even imagine but I remember I became obsessed with the thought of will I ever wake up again in the morning and it won't be my first thought that just slams me in the face and i couldn't I couldn't never imagine waking up and that not being the first thing that I think about and i don 't know why I was just so obsessed with this thought, and I would ask guests that would come on our podcast would be like who were further along. We had a a, a woman come on and she lost her mum, I think it was like 20 years ago, to suicide. And it was a question that I asked her. I'm like, was there a point where you woke up and it wasn't the first thing that you think about? And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And even when she said it, I just was full of doubt. I'm like, yeah, bullshit. I'm probably the exception to the rule here. It's never going to happen. And it happened. And it happened, you know, and it'd be hours where I would be caught up in something else, distracted in something, which I never thought would happen either. But then also with that can come the guilt of, I don't want to forget the person who's died or I don't want to, you know, I feel guilty for not thinking about them or am I moving on with my life? I don't want to leave them behind, you know. Am I
0: letting them go by, by moving... You know, I don't like the word moving on because I don't know that you ever do move on, right? You you find ways, you find ways to live in the world without them and you can find joy and hope again, but they're always a part of your life. They always will be. Absolutely. We don't move on. We move
1: forward and it's so important to let yourself off the hook. If you're having, you know, a day where you haven't thought about them, celebrate that it doesn't mean that you're forgetting them. They're going to be with you on this journey for the rest of your lives. And like, that's the thing that I've learned doing the work that I do is grief is a forever thing. It's not going to go away, you know, and our connection with our loved ones aren't going to go away. I think there's this old kind of preconceived idea that to heal or to, to move on from your grief, you've got to forget them and not talk about them, you know, and that's supposed to be healing. But it's like, absolutely not. Like that's, not helpful at all. So, yeah, I've found a lot of hope and comfort in building a new relationship with my mum. And it sounds odd, but... You know, and I feel like our relationships even evolved since she's died and since I've matured as well. I also look at my mum a lot differently now. I I think I looked at her as this, like, one-dimensional mum. That's all she was. But now I look at her as this, like, human being that had flaws and had history and had, you know, generational trauma that she was holding on to and all of these things. Like, I have i feel like I've learned so much about her since she died. That's also bittersweet because there's so many conversations that I'd love to have with her knowing what I know now or knowing what I've discovered about her now, but um, that's life, isn't it? Yeah.
0: I'm wondering, Imogen, whether there's something that for you was not spoken about that you wish that was. You know, I'm just, I so often see it with when someone loses someone so close to them that there's unspoken conversations. Was there, when you look back, things that you wish were spoken about more, whether that be with your mom or whether that be as a society?
1: I was really lucky in that my mum was a very deep thinker. So, we would have very deep conversations frequently. And I think I'd have a lot more questions for her now if she wasn't like that and if we had a bit of a surface level relationship. So, in terms of with my mum, yeah, I just I feel really lucky is that I I I got to have some really deep conversations with her. Of course there's more. And of course, as I grow older and my daughter grows older, there's so many things I want to ask her. But I think as a society we we just don't we don't talk about these things i think we're really afraid of our own mortality i think we're afraid of death and what that means and dying that we just don't talk about it you know there's a lot of other cultures that we could look up to that settle, celebrate death you know same way that they celebrate life and we just don't do that here in the west very well at all so yeah we don't talk about grief and we don't talk about death but i think and i i think as well when people are supporting someone through loss, they worry that they're going to say the wrong thing. So, they often don't say anything at all and don't acknowledge the loss because they don't want to remind you that your loved one's dead. But like, we're always thinking about them, you know, that they're always on our mind. And I'm I, i I'm always thinking about my mom. And the hardest part is when people don't, don't say anything or don't talk about her. You know, I love it when people talk about her and share stories and I hope that answered your question. I don't know if I sort of rambled into something else. No, no,
0: but what I did pick up on there, what I did pick up on was the love that you have for your mom and and where you're at at the moment is looking back and seeing the joy in the relationship and the things that you guys had together. Now I imagine that before you got there, there was a lot of anger. Was there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think it's – can we just honour that space for a moment? Because I think we haven't probably discussed that and some people might be sitting in that space at the moment.
1: Oh, yeah, I sat in that space for a long time. Like I talked about, I used to drive around in my car and just scream and, yeah, there was a lot of anger and a lot of hurt. And I have an anger journal, actually, which I will never pull out because I just don't even want to know what's in there. Um, But I had an anger journal where I would just write down just – my subconscious thoughts, just, just let them flow out. Like however I was feeling. So I think it's so important to, to release those emotions safely. And yeah, in it, I was just like, how could you leave me? How could you leave my daughter like this? I would never do this. Like, why would you do this? I was so angry at her, but as, yeah, as my grief has evolved and as my understanding of suicide has also evolved and I've gained a lot of knowledge around, you know, when people are in that space, they're not thinking clearly. You know, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I don't think she was thinking at all. I don't think that they're in their right mind when they make that choice oftentimes. So, that sort of helped with the anger towards my mum. But, yeah, I was definitely angry for a long time and I, and I even still get angry sometimes. I have my days and it comes and goes and this is something that's also really important is, yeah, grief is lifelong and, and those emotions still pop up for me. I still have days where I feel guilty or I'll start going through a conversation again and, yeah, it's a process. But the space in between that is of a, a, a feeling good and feeling better is is much longer
0: than it was before. Hmm. And also it's okay to be angry and to still love them. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we we feel as humans that we have to commit to one emotion and, and we're in that lane and that's the only lane we can be in. But you can have competing emotions side by side that are opposite and it's okay to have them both there. Yes,
1: they can coexist. And I like what you said there, but I do think like sometimes we do put people who have died on, on this pedestal as well. They turn into this like, holy person who never did any wrong, but relationships are so complicated, you know, relationships are hard and people do things that upset you. And, and there's a lot of processing of that after somebody dies, I think. And I think, I guess there are some conversations that I wish that I did have with my mum, probably holding her accountable for things that she never wanted to be held accountable for, but yeah, it's, it's a very complex, complex thing.
0: Mm. And the other thing that's popping up for me as we're having this conversation is is that space where particularly in the last five years there's a lot of conversations around gratitude and I think that's something to discuss here in this space is – Grief and gratitude, they're different. Like you have to allow yourself to grieve. Gratitude is a tool you use later when you're trying to reach for a strategy to think, what am I grateful in my life or what can I see in this moment that I have as opposed to what I don't have? But that's not to replace grief. Like grief, you've got to honour it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think there's a bit of a culture of like toxic positivity too, like trying to see the silver linings and creating purpose from your pain and That can put a lot of expectations onto people, you know, like I should be better, I should be feeling better than I am right now. Or I should flip my mindset like this, you know? Yeah. I should be able to flip it on its head. Yeah, and I think – allowing people to sit in that pain is one of the best things that you can do. Be a listening ear and just like letting them just be there. And I think we often want to fix people. We want to fix their pain because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? When we see people we love hurting, we want to fix them. But the thing is you can't fix somebody dying you know there's nothing that you can do or say is going to change change it it's not going to make it any better so we need to learn how to how to sit with people in their pain and just listen just listen to them. You know, that's going to be the most healing thing is once everyone learns how to be an amazing listener for people who are grieving, like that's where healing happens, you know. And I found that in Sal. She would listen to me for hours and hours without trying to fix me or without trying to give me those silly platitudes like, oh, your mum wouldn't want you to be sad or, you know, she's gone to a better place, all of that crap that we tell people to try and make ourselves feel more comfortable, right? So, yeah, there's there's so much work to do, but I think it's, yeah, it's so important to just let people feel what they're feeling without trying to rush their grief. And the gratitude I think is a gift that we can give ourselves. I think no one else should be telling you that you should be grateful for X, Y, Z. Like I think when we're in the right time and space where we feel like maybe this tool of writing down three things that I'm grateful for might help me, lift me up a little bit this morning. You know, it's something that we should give to ourselves and and do ourselves if we feel like it's the right time.
0: And it's just a tool. It might work one day, it might not work the next. You know, it's just a tool that you have in your toolkit. I think that just to pull this together a little bit, we had a conversation earlier in this episode about not being afraid to talk to people because you can't say the wrong thing. But then we're also at the same note saying at the end of the episode, like, you know, we don't encourage you to go and say things like, you know, (laughs) at least you've got this or, yeah, I hate those words, but, you know, like, so how do we blend the two? And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's about listening and it's about opening up the space. Again, a word we've used a lot here today, but for them to talk about what they want to talk about in that moment, however that looks or however heavy that is it's not so much about what you say as opposed to inviting the space for them if they're ready and if they want to talk what do we acknowledge by just saying like it's really hard to show up for
1: people in grief it's really hard to be a support person and, you know, we do say, don't say nothing. It's important to say something. And then we come at them, you know, don't say X, Y, yeah. Z. Don't, don't say this. I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I was
0: like, like well, well, well what what let's we talk say? through
1: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be really hard. So I just want to preface this by saying I acknowledge how difficult it is to show up and be a support for someone. But to simplify it, acknowledge the loss is the best thing that you can do. Acknowledge the elephant in the room. Say something rather than nothing from my experience, the more real you are about your acknowledgement, you just say like, this is so shit. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Like, I know nothing I can say can change this, but I'm here with you. You know, just acknowledge the magnitude of what they're going through. And I think what else can make it quite clear is just avoid platitudes, like things that are going to be intended to make them feel better or fix them like anything that starts with at least try to avoid those two words and yeah just platitudes like cliches like it was god's plan at least you had six months at least you had six months or it was it was meant to be or you know all those sorts of things so anything like that actually minimizes the person's experience because it then makes them feel like they don't have room to be feeling sad because they should be feeling okay because it was their time to go or whatever it is that that person's told them. So just, yeah, try to avoid those platitudes. I have 100% said them. I've definitely said them prior to my mum dying. So if you're listening to this and you're going, shit, I've said all the wrong things, do not feel I said bad. said that this morning.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. literally. laughs> you know, and I still would say, do you know what, if I can really honestly stand here today and say, I still make so many mistakes in conversations yeah. that I intellectually have learnt along the way maybe is not the he- most helpful thing in that scenario but it might also be okay in that moment so don't no, don't be so hard on yourself yeah. I guess is what we're saying here definitely
1: don't be hard on yourself and I still have moments like when you know if I meet someone and their loved one has died sometimes I even don't know what to say and like I talk about death and grief all day every day so yeah don't be hard on yourself it's a really tough thing to do but if you can just have it at the back of your mind or just write down like just listen like Be a listening ear is a great tool to do and no platitudes. And another really beautiful way to support someone is to talk about the person who's no longer here. It's so healing for the person grieving is just to hear you mention their name. You know, we don't want to forget them. We want to just know that other people aren't going to forget them as well. So ask questions about them, share memories. If you've got memories that you love about them or stories, Don't be afraid that by talking about them it's going to remind them that their person's dead or make them sad. That's not possible, you know. I I mean it may be like everyone's grief is so different but from what we've heard throughout our community, tens of thousands of people, they want their person to be talked about. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk or ask them questions because that can be
0: really healing. And, you know, we we had that conversation before we started this, didn't we? Like I asked you what your mum's name was and it's Vanessa and, you know, because we wanted to have her here in the room when we had this conversation. But to be really honest, I have had moments of anxiety as we're talking because I'm like, do I go here or don't I? Or, you know, and again, it's a space I I talk a lot with people around grief and you spend a whole podcast on grief (laughs) and I still was anxious to ask certain (gasps) things today with you.
1: And I love your honesty there. Like I love your honesty there because it is, it's a really sensitive subject and, and we do worry about saying the wrong thing all of the time. But no, I appreciate I appreciate your honesty.
0: And maybe it's worth here because the area we haven't touched on talking about it is I guess from my space I was like, I don't want to re-traumatise you, you know. How much of the story do you want to tell because I don't want to be asking questions that may take you to a place that you don't want to go to, which you keep talking about, like it's okay, but I think there is an element of, if there is complication around how someone's passed away i think sometimes maybe we don't need all the detail unless the person's wanting to say it
1: yes that is some really good advice especially when the when the loss is from suicide or you know a homicide when it's a traumatic death like yeah just try not to ask questions that Are only going to serve you. So this, you know, there might be information you want to know, kind of sticky beaking, like, did they leave a note or, you know, those sorts of things? Or what, like, what, how did it happen or what was going on for them? You know, I think that's only going to serve you knowing that information, right? That's not actually going to help the person grieving. So if you can catch yourself in the moment being like, why am I asking this question? What is this serving me? Then don't ask it you know, I think if it's going to be something that's going to be beneficial to the person who's grieving, then absolutely go ahead. But yeah, don't sticky beak. (laughs) That's probably the worst thing to do. Cause I, yeah, I found as well, because my mom died by suicide, if I was speaking to strangers, say in the, I don't know the hairdresser, and she said, "Who did you get your thick hair from?" and I said, "Oh, my mum," and then they'd start asking questions about my mum, and then it'd just come to light that she's died, and I'd have to tell her, and then it's awkward, and then they're like, "Oh, how did she die?" And I'd say, well, so she died by suicide. And then they, a lot of the time people can get so uncomfortable and you can feel that they're uncomfortable and that makes me really uncomfortable. And then I try to make them feel better. I'm a people pleaser, by the way. So then I, I get uncomfortable and try to make them comfortable. And like, we shouldn't have to be making other people comfortable when we're the ones grieving. So yeah, if you can just avoid asking any sort of questions that are going to pry around the circumstances, that
0: would be amazing. And so everyone take everything we've said and get it right. <laughs> (laughs) every time okay (laughs) no don't fail yeah Yeah, you cannot do it so it's really easy at the moment for us to sit here and have this conversation and when I say easy I definitely don't mean easy talking about what we're talking about or what you've been through but I mean it's about you said it showing up for the person authentically with good intentions I think at the end of the day if you can do that you're, you're miles in front
1: yeah absolutely and if you don't know what to say say that Say, I don't know what to say. Just be honest. Be so honest. Like we love honesty, us grievers. Just be real and be honest and be like, this is shit. I don't know what to say. I want to be here for you, but I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. Just say that, you know, that's better than nothing.
0: So can we go back to the start of the podcast (laughs) and I'll say that to you, (laughs) Imogenica moments and I'm like I don't know what to say here but I guess we are coming towards the end of the episode there's a couple of things that I want to ask and the first is we've also talked about acknowledging your loved one and we have only just mentioned Vanessa's name but I guess I'm wondering if there's something that you wanted to say to her and so we can really honor the space thank you for
1: asking that I appreciate that and I guess I would just want to say to her that Everything I am doing now is for her. I feel like before I used to work in TV production and reality TV and I just wasn't really fulfilled doing what I was doing. And since she died, I my life has just taken a completely different direction into building a community and helping people through grief and loss. And it is absolutely her legacy. It is what she would be doing You know, my mum was just that type of person. She was like just the most amazing listener, the most amazing support for anybody. She saw the absolute good in everybody and she loved helping people. And I feel like... Yeah. I just want her to know, even though I feel like she already knows somewhere up there, she's had a hand in all of this, but I want her to know that, yeah, this is her legacy and I will not stop doing this. I will not stop helping people. I will not stop spreading awareness around suicide loss and be an advocate for grief and helping change the conversation around grief and loss. And everything I'm doing is for her because I wasn't going to get emotional, but now that's going to be emotional. But the thought of, her death being for nothing and the thought of all of this being meaningless was impossible for me to comprehend. And so I think I've channeled all of my grief and all of my pain into finding purpose and yeah, just letting her legacy live on through the work that I'm doing. So yeah, just want
0: to let you know, mom, this is all for you. Mm, And you guys honestly are doing a phenomenal job in that space. Imogen, like for those that haven't got on the podcast to have a listen, good morning, MOU, if they're looking for it. It's a really beautiful podcast around everything we've been talking about here. Like if there's one little snippet that you've heard here today, I can almost guarantee that there's an episode on a whole episode dedicated to that part of the conversation that you and I have had today.
1: We cover all sorts of topics on the podcast, and yeah, it's it's very much for all different types of loss, all ages. Yeah, wherever you are on your journey, whether you are two months in or ten years down the track, like there's something for you. And our podcast is now in book form. I was about to say, and (laughs) not
0: only is it in book form, it's a phenomenal book. Like I read it from front to back, and blown away for starters on how you've been able to capture such a complex topic and flip it into this written form that's i know it's got the word survival guide but it seriously is a survival guide for someone going through grief
1: thank you ali that's so lovely of you to say that um yeah we really wanted to like it, that was probably one of the biggest challenges writing the book which was how are we going to fit everything that we've learned and mm. everything that we want to say into mm. one book, but I feel like mm. we did a, a pretty good job at it of condensing it all in there. But um, I just wanted to jump back as well before when we're talking about like how to support someone and what to do and what not to do. We actually have a whole chapter at the back of the book for um, tips for your support team. So everything that we've kind of talked about is condensed in the book. If you want to go and have a read of it, it's actually really helpful with all the do's and don'ts in a really simple way that should be easy to digest and understand you <laughs> But yeah, the book, it's, it's pretty much our podcast in book form. Our community is at the heart of it. So, we we listen to our community members every single day about what are the things that are keeping them up at night, what are the things that, you know, they're feeling stuck in with their grief and feeling isolated and lonely. And so, we've really taken all of the topics that we hear every single day and, and made them into chapters. So, all the chapters are just some of the biggest topics that we hear from our community members all the time. And um, we've written the book in a way you'll notice like it's quite – The way it's laid out, it's sort of
0: easy to digest. Very picturesque (laughs) you know there's lots of images and boxes and which is really great because it's a really heavy topic and to be able to just even break it up with images and and activities and you know little tips and hacks that people you know to summarize what you've been trying to say in a whole chapter
1: yeah we've got tips and journal prompts and psychologists input in there as well and real life stories from our community not just Sal and I's experiences we've got other like hundreds of other people's experiences in there too and um, yeah the book was written in an intentional way like it's laid out like that because of grief brain which we kind of touched on how grief can impact your brain and it can be really difficult to concentrate and I think a lot of the grief books out there are really text heavy and theoretical and you probably open them and be like oh this is too much right now but like ours you can just flick to any page and then get some helpful information so that was very intentional in the way that we set the book out as well.
0: And we haven't said what
1: the book is called. <laughs> oh, yeah, whoops. The book is called Good Morning, Honest Conversations About Grief and Loss, and it's available on all major platforms and bookstores across Australia. And we're about to launch in the US and Canada on the 2nd of May, and it's out in
0: um, UK and Ireland as well. Wow. And we will absolutely have that in the show notes for anyone that's looking. You know, I personally, from someone that has spent a lot of time studying grief, for someone that has lost many many people in my life um, through many many different ways I found it so valuable and I'm not in a space right now that I'm in a heavy grief period but I found it so valuable just being able to read over and think yes absolutely or god I'm going to tuck that away or maybe that could be helpful when someone else is going through grief or you know just just taking a bird's eye view of it a little bit as well. Yeah, thank you. It's so
1: lovely to hear that feedback. And one of the words that we've we've had that was used to describe the book from somebody who who read it was that it's uplifting. I'm like, how, how, do, how do you make a book about grief uplifting? But we somehow have somehow done that because we don't want it to be all doom and gloom. You know, we don't, we want grief to be something that we can talk about. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. Of course, it's heavy and sad, but there's also funny parts to grief sometimes. And it's important to acknowledge those. And,
0: and we haven't touched on that today and we won't have time, <laughs> but like there is, you know, and I think bringing that humor, but also the the, the fond memories of the funny times with the person as well and we could have a whole episode about that image and we do have to wrap up for today. The last question that I ask, and you won't know this, um, <laughs> is who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Good
1: question. Sal actually does. Sal, my my co-host and the co-author of our book, makes me belly laugh and I don't even think she intentionally Means too. She's hilarious. She's so funny and she's going through a bit of a grandma era at the moment. And like, we jumped on Zoom the other day to record an, uh, an intro quickly for our podcast. And she had this like, I don't even know what, like this towel, this old grandma like towel head and some like little towel thing around her and a big glasses. And she was so close <laughs> to the screen. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, what? I was like, you literally look like an old woman. So, and she's
0: like, what? What's wrong with yeah, yeah, this yeah. one? You're just like, hang on, I think, hang on, did I get up a long time? Yeah. Can I just take it? I'm just going to take a screenshot. <laughs> and we belly laugh on our podcast
1: too, which is yes. where we talk about death, but sometimes we belly laugh. Like it's actually sometimes really funny, which people are really surprised about. They think, oh, I can't listen to this really heavy podcast about grief, but we have a laugh quite quite often. So head on over and have a listen, but you'd be surprised.
0: <laughs> and I always say it's almost, imp- almost impossible to be sad when you're laughing in that moment. Which is why I always end the podcast with this, because we cover some pretty heavy topics on here as well, like we have today. And, you know, I just want to, I just want to say thank you, Imogen. I, I don't know for you, but I'd imagine that your story never, ever, ever becomes easy to tell. And and coming on and opening it up to our audience today so that we can help hopefully someone out there is just remarkable.
1: Thank you. It doesn't get easier. I think the more I talk about it, the easier it gets to talk about it. Like I I used to not be able to get through a podcast episode without being in floods of tears, but I think I've sort of desensitized myself a little bit to the story because I do talk about it so much. But it's still there and like I I can feel – physically when i talk about it like my body will start to shake a little bit and yeah the trauma is you know it's it's i've still got work to do but i just think it's so important to have these conversations so thank you for holding this space for me for
0: for today and yeah i hope that that it helps any of your listeners who are experiencing something similar what an incredible job imogen and sally are doing sharing their experiences with the world to help others i've listened to a few of their episodes and found so much value in each one Remember, the Lifeline push-up starts very soon. So go to Lifeline New England Northwest Facebook page and you will find several posts there with a QR code to sign up and take part in this fun challenge. If you have not yet joined our Facebook community, I would love to personally invite you. Look up Challenges That Change Us in the Facebook groups and click on the Join button. We would love to see you there. On a final note, there is still two spots left to book in for a DISC personality profiling workshop for your team before the end of June. This is a three-hour workshop where we unlock concepts around what drives human behaviour, the motivations and fears that sit behind our actions. It helps turn tension and conflict in the workplace into collaboration. If you're looking to elevate your team's performance this year, reach out to me directly via the links in the show notes or email af at tri, T-R-I altitude a l t i t u d e performance p e r f o r m a n c e dot com au i look forward to hearing from you take care this week everyone and remember to try and do a little bit of self-care and self-nurturing